In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Our text for today is the reading from St. Paul's letter to the Romans, which you've already heard. The Reformation is a cause of great joy for Christians of every single stripe. I argue that this is true even among those who are in the Roman Catholic Church. For today is a day that we give thanks to God. Although we often think of Martin Luther in connection with the Reformation and his fellow reformers, the Reformation really comes down to one thing. And it's not about being on the right side of an argument or whatever fill-in-the-blank thing that you think is great about German culture. The Reformation comes down to this, that we can be certain of our standing before God now and into eternity. And that is because the chief thing that came out of the Reformation is we know that God is just and that he justifies sinners for the sake of Christ's innocent suffering and death. And so today, we will consider the great revelation that led Luther to this certainty in order that we too might have the same certainty about our standing before God. And that realization is this, that St. Paul, when he speaks about the righteousness of God, what does he mean by that? And we ask that God would grant us to realize this as well, so that we would have certainty. So what does he mean? Uh, St. Paul writes in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now, by the time Luther began to study theology, the overwhelming consensus of the late medieval church was that when St. Paul wrote about the righteousness of God, he was referring to the fact that God is righteous, and in his righteousness, he punishes unrighteous sinners. Luther struggled with how it was possible for the gospel to be the good news that was the power of God unto salvation, how it could be good news, but that it was also bad news, that it was the standard by which God judged sinners. To put it simply, Luther believed that salvation was out of reach. He knew what God had required in the Ten Commandments, and he saw that he couldn't keep the law perfectly. He was constantly running to his father confessor, where he was told to do works of satisfaction, that is, more work for him to do on top of the other things that God had commanded him to do in order to make up for the sins that he had committed. This was also on top of the pressure that Luther felt as a monk. As a monk, Luther was tasked with the responsibility of earning merit before God for others. That is, 
that through Luther's prayers and keeping of the law and all of that stuff that he did as a monk, Luther was gaining credit for all of these people around him so that they would spend less time in purgatory and would go sooner to be with their father in heaven. By the way, this included his own father. When Luther entered the monastery, this was after his father had paid for an education as a lawyer, and Luther told his dad that he was going to do more for him as a monk in earning him salvation rather than working for the family business. And so, the fact that this gospel had also become the standard of judgment was intolerable for Luther, and he began even to hate God. Now, while none of us have personally experienced the medieval system of penance, and very few of us have experienced its modern version, its modern cousin, I want you to think about it like this. God's judgment is seen as perfect, and it is complete. Therefore, the only way to get to heaven would be by having earned enough favor before God in order to outweigh everything that we have done in this life to incur God's anger over our sinful thoughts, words, and deeds. Now, hopefully, you covered in catechism class in the Ten Commandments when your pastor taught you that the wages of sin is death, that even anger or lust provokes God's wrath, and for those sins you ought to die. Or, as our epistle reading puts it for today, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. In other words, it is impossible to please God enough for him to let you into heaven, no matter how hard you work, no matter how hard you pray. God is perfect, and therefore he demands from his people perfection. God is holy, and that means that he not only hates sin, but he hates sinners as well. And if we are left there, if we are left with the medieval system of penance, where Luther was, that is still operational today, by the way, in the Roman Catholic Church, we are doomed. This is the trap that the devil has for us. He wants to rob us of our certainty by pointing us to what we are supposed to do. He wants to trick us into thinking that we can make God happy by keeping some dumbed-down version of the law. But when we even fail at that, he loves to point out God's judgment, that it stands against us as sinners, and that sinners deserve eternal death and punishment forever. Luther's struggle against his sin led him to plunge deeper and deeper into the Word of God. As he studied what the Bible says about the righteousness of God, instead of taking what the Roman church taught about the righteousness of God at face value, Luther had what is known as a tower experience, or what we might call a breakthrough. He saw that St. Paul had quoted the prophet Habakkuk, who wrote, 
The righteous shall live by faith. And that's how our pew Bibles, by the way, translate the end of Romans 1.17. However, if you were to translate the Greek words of the end of Romans 1.17 in the order that they appear on the page, it would go like this. And I think this makes it a little bit clearer as to what the prophet meant. He says, They who, are, who through faith are righteous shall live. I'll say that again. They who through faith are righteous shall live. Now I know that sounds a little bit like how Yoda might do theology. But listen to what this meant for Martin Luther. He says, I began to understand that the righteousness of God meant that those who were righteous lived by a gift of God, which is the passive righteousness by which God justifies us through faith. I felt that I was altogether born again and had entered paradise through open gates. A completely different face of the entire scripture showed itself to me, and I ran through the scriptures from memory. The work of God, that is, what God does in us. The power of God, which God makes us strong. The wisdom of God, with which God makes us wise. Likewise, the strength of God, the salvation of God, the glory of God. In short, God's righteousness, which is revealed through faith in Christ Jesus, is how God can now look at us, poor, miserable sinners, as righteous. Paul puts it this way in our epistle for today. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. To put it another way, God's righteousness is shown to us by the law. We cannot dispute that. We see that it is good not to be angry, not to lust after one God has not given to us as our husband or wife, not to take what is not ours, not to speak poorly of others, to love God and not to let anything, not sports or camping, not our jobs or anything, to get into the way of receiving his gifts and singing his praises. We see that in that law, it is in fact good. But God has also revealed this righteousness to us in another way altogether. Through the eyes of faith, we now see that God has laid our sins, our shortcomings, our anger, our lust, our fears, our lack of trust in him. He has laid all of our sins on Jesus. 
He has passed over our former sins and the sins of the whole world so that at the time that Jesus was born into our flesh and into our blood, he would be the perfect and spotless lamb to bear the sins of the whole world, but also to bear your sins and mine. He is the one that God, or God does not simply set aside the law, because that would mean that the law isn't good, and that would also mean that we couldn't trust God to tell us what is good. But instead, Christ Jesus Bearing our sins on the cross also bore the full wrath of God for your sins. Paying the debt that our sins have incurred before God, not with gold or silver, but with his holy, precious blood and with his innocent suffering and death. And this, dear saints, is the revelation that God gave to Martin Luther. You don't have to do this or pray that to make up for your sins because of Christ's perfect life and his innocent death. God counts you as righteous. And because of that, God is already pleased with you in Christ Jesus. Our natural religion, amplified by our American sense of pulling ourselves up by the bootstraps and Doing it our way is nothing but a trick of the devil. The more we try to contribute to our salvation, the less that we will end up relying on Christ and his saving work. But just like he did for Luther, Christ Jesus has caused you to be born again in the waters of holy baptism. And he has opened to you the gates of paradise that you may simply walk through them His righteousness is now your righteousness, and he has given it to you as a free gift. And that means that your certainty is in Christ Jesus. He has won that righteousness for you at the cross. He has washed you in the font, and he feeds it to you in the supper. As we prayed in our gradual, walk around Zion, go around her, number her towers, consider, consider well her ramparts, that you may tell the next generation that this is God. This is our God forever and ever. That he is your mighty fortress upon which your certainty of salvation depends. And because it depends on him and him alone, it is secure. In Jesus' name. And now the peace of God which passes all understanding Keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus our Lord.